0: Thank you for joining us on Walking Between Worlds, a podcast produced by CultureBound. Our goal is to create conversation about elements of culture and to listen to the perspectives of others. CultureBound does not endorse a specific opinion expressed on this show, but values the discussions that take place. To learn more about CultureBound, visit culturebound.org or follow at CultureBound.org on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Walking Between Worlds. It is so good to be back after a week off. Um, Today we are going to be continuing our series on culture and church. And we think this series is super important because culture and church have been intertwined as long as church has been around. Um, And it's so important to look at the ways that church and culture affect each other. I'm Kylie Trout, your creative director and host at Walking Between Worlds. And I'm here in the studio today with Gary Steele. Hey, what's up? And Jacob Huey. Oh, there. And I've asked them both to come with some research today. Uh, we're going to be talking through some of the history of church and how we got to be where we are today. So that kind of will set the stage for um, the culture that we're currently surrounded with and the types of church that we see all around us. Church, you know, even within the same neighborhood, the idea of church is going to vary so much. Uh, let alone the differences in church we see between cultures. Um, So we're going to dive into some of that today. We also want to talk about the purpose of church, um, the difference between the Bride of Christ and the institution of church, what those things mean. Um, We're going to talk about how church is supposed to have an effect on culture, Um, We know it's fulfilling its purpose when the church has an effect on the culture that it is in. And then hopefully, we might get to this today, but we'll probably talk about it a little bit more in depth next episode, is some of the ways that we can uh, put ourselves to test as a church within culture. Um, Because, you know, I think we've all seen churches that either um, kind of fall prey to the culture that they are involved in, um, or culture becomes primary over the teachings of scripture um, or we bend scripture to fit the culture. Um, and so what are what are some ways that we can kind of test ourselves as a church to know that we are fulfilling the role that church is was was meant to fill. So my first question for you guys today um, is what what is the difference between saying calling the church the Bride of Christ and looking at church as an institution.
2: When you talk about the Bride of Christ, um, when Scripture addresses the church, you will be my church, he's talking about a people group rather than a building. Um, We've often confused the two, and that if you are his children, if you are his body, then you are transformed, and the purpose of the church is simply to teach the Word of God, to grow in faith, be transformed, and draw others towards Jesus. Mm We end up being in many ways um, we're all missionaries, and we 're all with you know these big megaphones saying, "Come see jesus that 's supposed to be in our words and our actions and the way we inter- interact with people who are christians and non Christians The institution of the church is when we choose to have a governing body to um, uh, preside over a group of people that we assume are the children of God, mm-hmm. but that it's the um, uh, literally it is the um identification with a people group um, and a identification with a, a group of people who meet together on a regular basis right. and so it's a very thin line between a Christian club and a church
1: right and like the institutional part of it like the governing body over the church yep not inherently bad no like that can be done I think you know institutionalized leadership can be done well yep but sometimes that does get it, i, I think I twisted. think
2: where the issue comes is when we begin to confuse church organization with culture. And that's not to say that it's bad, but we have a lot of people, theologians and historians throughout the the history of the church who have claimed this is the right way of doing church. yeah, and and it might be worthwhile for a period of time for a people group, but does that make it the right way of doing it? Exclusive claims on church structure is, A little like saying my form of government uh, is what everyone in the world should choose and it's it's a little
1: except that and I think the difference between that and like choosing government choosing the right government or the right in quotes government like there's so much more on the line when we say this is the right way to do church and if you're not doing it this way then you know you your eternity is 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 at stake right and we've
2: that we've seen that throughout church history um all over the world yeah. and the moment you make those absolute claims by the way that are not in scripture mm-hmm. you divide the room into you agree with us or you're our enemy right and that's where church splits have happened that have had monumental effects on all of the church history for, yes. for centuries
1: yeah so we just want to be really clear we like we're going to be talking about both of these things throughout yes. the episode um, the bride of Christ through time, so yep. the the especially the flawed bride of Christ since it's since its inception, essentially,
2: the church is made up of human beings. Human yes. beings are not perfect, so the church is not perfect. So right, exactly. The people who are claiming the church must be perfect are asking for a pipe dream.
1: Right. So there's that. And then we'll also be talking about church as an institution. I just wanted to draw the, the difference between those two things. We're not using them necessarily like interchangeably.
2: No. And it's a valid discussion. So mm-hmm. let's try to keep consistent in yes. the words that we use. Yeah.
1: Um the other question I have to start us off is um because church is supposed to have some kind of an effect on the culture that it's in. Yeah. And I think, you know, they influence each other to a degree. Um, but Ultimately, church is meant to change the way that people are doing life to to a large degree. Yeah. I think that's one of the markers. that says, okay, the church is working, like or God is working the, through this church. The
2: bride of Christ is being transformed by the Spirit right. of God. Right. Therefore, that should, well, I mean, Second Corinthians, we are the fragrance of life to life and death to death. Yes. Those who are perishing, we remind them they're dying mm-hmm. and they are in sin. Those who are living and have the Holy Spirit in them, our spirit joins together with their spirit and rejoices. Yes.
1: Yeah, so what are, what is that effect supposed to look like in its purest form? And I know that can take lots of different, it can look differently depending on where you are, but what are some of those, like, what is the church supposed to do to the culture that it's in?
2: Transform. Um, ironically, we have looked at, most of my life, we've looked at uh, the West and specifically America as kind of the, the um, home base for Christianity in the world. Um, In the last 30 years, that's definitely changed to um, the global South. But where we're seeing one of the biggest moves of the Spirit of God right now is in Muslim countries, where we are having people who are cultural Muslims and spiritual Christians. You say, that doesn't work. Actually, it does. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. It actually does. And we're seeing Muslims who are falling asleep as Muslims and waking up after having a dream of Jesus and waking up Christians. Mm -hmm. I heard a a leader of a, a workshop Heard this from a bunch of Muslims, and he looked at all the uh, five Muslims and thirty-five guys, and he said, uh, "Hey, it, you Christians, how many of you had a dream of that Jesus came to you last night?" And no one raised their hand. He goes, uh, "Something's going on here."
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. What do you think, Jacob?
0: Yeah, I think I go back to James, where it's supposed to be a place for the disenfranchised. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. there is transformation, but through what way? Looking yeah. out for those in need, those who yeah. are constantly overlooked, those there's, there's a place of transformation not just from different teachings but from the Spirit of God working to others. So in terms of culture mm-hmm. at Absolutely. large, uh, there's that. There's a community then that those people find, and then there's teaching that comes with it. But I think it's pretty clear when you read the New Testament that church is not just a place where... Believers come to have a lecture, but yeah. are supposed to come together, relate with one another, love one another mm-hmm. through looking out for one another. Right. And when we Agreed.
1: talk, when we, we're talking about like this, the disenfranchised as a, as a group, we're not just talking about, I mean, it's, it's, it's tangible and spiritual. So those, and it, sometimes those could go hand in hand, I think. Yeah. Um,
0: Agreed. But yeah. you're
1: meeting I mean, you're meeting people where they're at and providing in some ways. Yeah. Both spiritually and tangibly.
0: Disenfranchised both seen and unseen because there's yeah. also those who I would I would think I mean it's it's all facets. Mentally, right. spiritually, physically, all sorts of life. Whoever like nothing upsets God more than when we take advantage of the poor. Agreed and poor yeah meaning like, I mean, read the poor prophets, in spirit, poor, poor in, yeah, in standing, life, like, poor yeah. in, like when you, we take advantage yeah. of the poor, for I mean, read the prophets, gain, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it, it, it upsets God. And I think, I don't know, when we look at the church in the way it's supposed to be in culture, I think that's still the case where it's like, when we, we are supposed to be the safest space for somebody who is struggling whether mm-hmm. physically, spiritually, or mentally, or whatever whatever and, the case may be.
2: And yet, that's not the history of the church. I'm mm-hmm. uh, dealing right. with a group of students uh, right now at the university I'm at that are wrestling with the idea of how can the LGBTQ plus community have conversation with the church. And most of the schools experience people who fall within the category, and we have a number of them, um, actually say, we have been ostracized and been told we're persona non grata. And yet, and people say, we shouldn't have them in the church. And I say, why? Because they're not Christians. The church is there to talk to non-Christians. We're not there to accept everything about them because they know they're broken. Mm -hmm. So when the church, and I I think that's where our, I, I think it's our fear that gets in the way that we are somehow going to be polluted by them or that we are somehow going to be influenced by them or that they're going to ruin us or ruin our reputation. And that's not what we should be about. If we're worried about the reputation of a church, we're, ruined. we're actually worried about the wrong thing. And are we actually willing to touch, and I, I don't want to say they're lepers, but I would say the, old, the, the, the biblical example would be people reaching out to a Samaritan or to lepers. Yeah. The thing that I, I love about people who are so smugly smart, and I say that in quotes with a little irony, is they say, yeah, but the Bible doesn't have anything to say about that. And I come back and say, can you talk about Corinth or Rome, where they would actually put America to shame with the type of gross things they were doing, and they did it publicly. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, the Bible knows about that. Well, they don't know anything. Yes, they do. They absolutely understand all that stuff better than we realize, yeah. and but, yet they I mean, dealt it's with tough,
1: it. like... It's tough when it's not as explicit as we want it to be. Yes, like agreed. when there's not a direct commandment of like, this is wrong. This is why, yep. and we've found a way to overcome that. Like, and sometimes the Bible isn't super, super explicit on certain issues no. that are hot buttons right now. Mm, not, I think no. a lot of people struggle with that, myself included. Jacob, this is something you had said when we first started talking about like church history: is that nothing is new. Like. No. None of the things we're dealing with are original. Like yeah. the church has been fighting these kinds of battles in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's the same root issue through all of church history.
0: Oh yeah, there's I mean, and even that kind of wisdom comes from the writings of Kohelet, of Ecclesiastes yes. of there's nothing new under the sun. There's the problems that we have today are nothing new. Like mm-hmm. you I, I think of <laughs> I think of one uh, one of the interchurchal problems that we have, or that we've, I think, been wrestling through more and more. I've heard churches starting to group people together to figure this out. Is women in leadership? Totally. Okay. Not a new issue though.
1: Nope. No. It is
0: something that was wrestled through the beginning. Another issue, um, and we'll dive into this later, that I've heard talk about more and more is what we do with the Old Testament today. Yeah. So major pastors have said in the past even four years of we need to unhinge our New Testament's faith from its Old Testament beginning. In a sense, saying, let's get rid of the Old Testament. Not a new problem. Nope. It is not new. This is not a new struggle. Mm
1: -hmm. Tell me about where those struggles started.
0: Well, if you want to go all the way back to where it started, go to Genesis (laughs) Genesis chapter 3. Sure. Um, (laughs) Of course. We bit the apple and we... Oh, well, it's not even an apple. I the say. fruit. We yeah. bit the fruit and we said we can make these decisions ourselves. Yeah, we, we're we're gonna take it in our own hands to figure out what's yep. right or wrong. I think specifically of the Old Testament one, that started way in the beginning. You don't have to look any further than Acts chapter fifteen, where the Council of Jerusalem took place. So, situation and context. You know, Jesus dies. Yes, Resing I'm pulling again. up the
1: passage too. So I mean um, we don't have to read it, but I'm I just want to follow along.
0: Yeah. And there are Pharisees, for one, I like to point this out, Pharisees within the Christian community, enough Christian influence to say, to dictate new believers on how they should conduct their yes. lives. Yes, yes. That are saying to these Gentile believers, Well, now you have to get circumcised. Um you have to it in order to for your salvation to count, you have to follow the instructions of Moses. And I'm going to say law of Moses here because they're referring, I, I, what I think is that they are referring not just to Torah, so not just to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they're referring to all the extra stuff that came about too. So we're talking Midrash, we're talking Haggadah, Haggadah, Mishnah, the whole nine yards. Yeah, we're talking about everything. The stuff the Pharisees had added on top of the common Jew. Yeah, understand with, with the belief that it was part of Mosaic law. But that was actually written by the Pharisees in light of Mosaic law. So it actually wasn't Moses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's why I say law of Moses, not Torah. Yeah. And so there's this whole council that comes together. All of the big names. You got Peter. You got James. You got mm-hmm. Paul that shows up. You got um, Barabbas. Not Barabbas. Barnabas. 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 Yeah. and Yeah. Barnabas who shows up and they they start talking about okay well is this legitimate is this something we actually need required does it actually and ultimately the question is how much of Torah do we apply to our Christian faith because it's important to know at this time that their scripture isn't our scripture that we have today mm-hmm. there is no New Testament heck the Gospels are all oral tradition at this point they're not even written yet right um and if they're written, they're not in circulation wide enough to be
1: um, Widely considered yeah. like part of the exactly. culture. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so their reliance, their scripture is the Hebrew Bible. They still, it's still God God's word. So much so that they're still going to synagogues and participating. Why? Because it's still their scripture. Yes. Um. So the question is, is how much of this do we carry into Christianity? Mm-hmm. And what's decided is by James. Well, so Peter makes the points like we don't fa- we can't follow this ourselves. We, yes, our forefathers don't follow it. Why are we going to put that on someone else? And yeah, Paul, who's not even part of that culture? Yeah, yeah. Paul and Bar- Barnabas share their stories of their work with the Gentiles, saying it's clear that the Spirit is moving here, and the Spirit has accepted these Gentiles even before they have followed any of Mosaic Torah, to put it at the most basic level. And then, so James makes the point, drawing on of, uh, it's Amos, right? The passage he uses? I thought that was what it was. I think so. Where it's basically the Lord saying he's going to rebuild the tent of David and that anybody who calls on his name, including the Gentiles, will be received. And... What's clear to note is that afterwards he says, no, we shouldn't have them get circumcised. No, we shouldn't have a strict adherence to the law. However, there are teachings in Torah that are still applicable. Sure. There are teachings in, um, that need to be followed because it's a matter of relationship and loving one another right. and sending ourselves apart still. So
1: how do you decide then which ones are worth following and which ones you can kind of mm. you can kind of skirt by?
0: and. This is so and it gets back to um, Jesus's answer mm-hmm. uh, because when you think about it and when you read to it most,
1: to the most important commandments
0: to, to commandments or commandment yeah as uh, Jesus puts it of love your love the Lord your God with all your heart soul strength mind
1: mm-hmm.
0: and love your neighbor as yourself all of the prophets the book of Moses hinges on these two. Commandments. Yes. There's a whole conversation that could be dived into that about totally. where yes. then why do Leviticus and Deuteronomy exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but the important part is when it comes to gauging what instructions get followed, and I believe that's what hap is happening with James and his responses here, is how do we show and what do we tell them for the time being to draw this boundary, not so much of these are the rules you have to follow, but these are kind of the guidelines that still follow the ultimate thing that's guiding us. And that is a love for God with everything we got mm-hmm. and a love for our, the rest of humanity around us. And that was really kind of like uh, the first, like the first major thing that happens in like council um, within church history mm-hmm. that kind of sets up for the rest. And that's an example of, this Old Testament question isn't a new question, nor is it an and qu- a question of Christian theology, but the question yep. of Christian theology. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's why you even see see it still wrestled through today. Yeah,
1: how much do we adapt from, yeah. from mm-hmm. what God gave how, Israel?
0: How you handle the Old Testament dictates how then your Christian theology is formed. Yeah, agreed. So, yeah, Old Testament is the question about what to do with the Old Old Testament is not a question of theology but the question of theology and it is something that we see in Acts 15 was a very early question ironically so much of the so many of
2: the people who are throwing that idea around right now are doing it on, not even on the basis of the cha- the council of Jerusalem what they were wrestling with like can the gentiles do that their question actually is you're not making any sense to the modern culture so get rid of it because the culture doesn't care about it which is really, I I kind of, I mean, you're throwing, you're throwing an entire culture under the bus and removing the scripture as a whole. And it's like, well, you're not even going to try to help people. You're not giving them the benefit of the doubt. You're you're teaching the people like they're a bunch of dummies. Mm -hmm. And that's quite offensive. Mm -hmm. And if they understood what was actually being said, they wouldn't say, oh, that's a great idea. We don't have to work hard on that. They're actually, it's, it's a put down for them. Yeah. And I think it's, It's one that I've seen the church for many years kind of lazily go along
0: and say, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. And it is a big deal. Well, and it's that kind of mentality that gets to the point that grows it to the point we're at today where it's where you see actually most, when we talk about church over time yeah, and where church is at today in looking back to history, yeah, um, this is an issue that is subtle and how it divides churches yep. and denominations. Because I was doing actually some work for CultureBound the other day, looking at different churches and looking at doctrinal statements. And it's crazy to see how different doctrinal statements are cited. Versus doctrinal. Number, doctrinal statements are no. um, are divided, or what verses they choose to say. Right. Yeah. Some, strict adherence to the New Testament. Others, Old and New Testament verse references. Yeah. Very interesting. So. Yeah. In a very subtle way it does lead to where we're at today with churches
1: totally yeah that makes sense and what um like churches that will use passages from the torah to either justify or um Mm -hmm. or exclude certain people or Mm -hmm. um just what they decide they, where they decide they fall, a lot of that will sometimes fall, will, will come down to what's what's in the Torah.
0: Yeah, and that and it gets back to the the question you brought up of, like, so how do we then divide? Do we then go for a strict adherence to Torah? Mm-hmm. Do we only follow the, the commandments of Torah that are mentioned by Jesus mm-hmm. and exclude all the rest? Or are these just a list of rules that we avoided under Christ? At what point does the Mosaic Covenant stop applying? Right. But here's the thing, you even scripture
2: of the New Testament gives credence to the Old Testament. If you look at Second Corinthians, mm-hmm. it actually says there is a glory mm-hmm. to the covenant that came before.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's a
2: good thing. Now the new covenant is Jesus full on, so there it's it's a instead of a candle, it's a it's a floodlight. But he doesn't put down the old testament. It doesn't mm-hmm. put down the old covenant. It mm-hmm. actually says there's a glory to to it, mm. and it is a reflection of the character of God. Mm. And that's, you know, I don't want to get rid of that. That's more I understand about God, the better it is. But right. we, let's be honest, some of those Deuteronomical passages are thick and hard to get through, and it's hard, it's confusing. Mm. You know, I mean, what do you do with the genealogies or the passage in Joshua where it says this land was given to these people? And you go, oh, no, no, no. It's like, no those are real people. That's an important idea. And maybe it's for a history discussion rather than a theological discussion, but it's still very valid. And then on top of that, you have Jesus who says, if you look at scripture, all the Old Testament testifies to me. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Jesus is in favor of getting rid of the Old Testament. And and I'm just, I'm thinking about our listeners who might be saying, Old Testament, I would recommend before you throw the Bible out of the Old Testament, look at 2 Corinthians 2, 3, 4, and look what it says, and then look at, and you, Jacob, you've affected me hugely on this, just look at some of the the some of the, uh, the Torah and looking at how it speaks, why those things are in there. Yeah, they might be odd and weird, but there is a real purpose behind that, that God wants to be near his people, mm. and there are certain things that don't work
1: yeah yeah totally so we've got the council of jerusalem that was one of the big first events of where the church kind of had to wrestle through Yeah. or the church the leaders of um the church at the time had to kind of wrestle through some of those Mm -hmm. issues and there've been i mean plenty of others i'm sure since then
0: yes there so In terms of councils, yes, there are several. We're not going to hit any of them. Yeah, that's Um, that's
1: fine. That's not the point of today. Yeah, (laughs) it's not the
0: point of today. Uh, But so to do a quick flyby to the next major event (laughs) we want to hit by is so the church then begins to grow from this point all across uh, the The Roman Empire, the Roman Empire, and beyond persecution, then into right. Christianity well, that, being recognized by the Roman government and put as the government, like the Right, national- which is
2: Constantine, the Edict of Milan. Um, real quickly, there were only a handful of nation or uh, uh, empire-wide persecutions, yes. but most of them were territorial, even up to just cities persecuting their Christians. And you could walk outside the city, go to another city, and it'd be mm. all peaceful. But there was a history of on-again, off-again persecution because they were seen as such an aberrant religion. Because it did things that other people, well, first of all, people lied about it. And right. second of all, Christianity does stuff that no one else does. I mean, we have a resurrected Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's unusual. We talk about transformation rather than rule keeping, which really frustrated some of the emperors because they would go to the pagans and go, you guys look terrible in comparison to the Christians. Why don't you do some nice things? Mm-hmm. And, and you, they, they missed the point. But it's when they made it, not just it was legalized, it became the religion of the empire, Mm -hmm. and that's Constantine. That's when you run into issues of the church grew so fast that everyone came in and they couldn't vet the true believers from the hangers on, and it takes on the structure of an institution that was massive. Mm -hmm. The growth was just exponential, and yeah, there might have been some great revival in there, But suddenly you start saying, how do we organize this? They look at the government and say, okay, we're going to use the government organization to work on this. So there ends up being a hierarchy. That's where you have the laity and the professional class. And that leads us all the way up to Catholic Church and their structure into um, the Protestant structure even goes there, modern church. We still have these things going on. And it becomes like the appropriate form of church government, which is never addressed in Scripture. Right. We're supposed to do a handful of things, and that's teach the word of God, make disciples, baptize, uh, communion, and then some of the other ones like marriage or or funerals stuff like that end up being like secondary. Yes, but there are only a handful of things that Jesus said, do this. So suddenly we have people who say this is the right way of doing church government, right.
1: or this is the way, the right way of executing what Jesus said to do.
2: Exactly, yeah. and it's all subjective and often based upon culture. And again, not saying culture is bad, but saying that it it doesn't mean there's one right way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in Bible school and having people say, "No, no, this is the right way of doing it." They had people who had arguments in classes about the right way of doing church and church governments. Yeah. yeah, and mm-hmm. it always seemed
0: kind of silly to me because aren't we supposed to be worshiping Jesus and not worried about who's in charge? Yeah, right. which my naivety. Brings, sorry. Which brings us to the next major event that didn't take place because as different ways of practicing christianity as as christianity itself grows and grows and grows and we end up with the catholic church and different ways of right. growing we then begin to as many probably know today church is divided into different denominations yes. and yes. some of those denominations are affect our regional base In yes eastern orthodoxy is different than a baptist and stuff completely. like that completely And that can actually get traced back to one single point in time, what tends to be called the Great Schism. It's the biggest split the church has ever seen. Yeah. And in fact, when you look at some graphs, actually, this is not only the biggest, but the first of many splits to come. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's why it's so important to understand this first split, because there was a point in time that there wasn't all these denominations. There was, it was just the church. Yep not loaded with, well, are you talking about Pentecostal? Are you talking about Baptist? No, it was just the church. Yep. And so that's the next big event we're going to hit on here is this idea of the great schism, which ultimately comes down to as the church expanded past the Roman Empire yep. into a different culture, there came a budding of heads of how do you then do, yeah, the, to use your example of all these five things, what is the right way to go about baptism? Yep. What is yeah. the right way to give the Eucharist, the the yep. communion? Mm-hmm. And it became all about form, yeah, and a little doctrine, but yeah. they
2: were th- there were huge gaps between the two, not just based upon culture, but
0: based upon even yeah. how you read the Bible. Yeah, right. and the reason it even happened is because these, as Terry pointed out, there are five, like there are those major things, right. that were believed to be core to the church. Mm-hmm. And so when you disagree on those, what you believe is the core, it's either one reconciles or you split. And if mm-hmm. you are so set in your ways that this is the right way of doing
2: it, yeah. then the, the chances that reconciliation is not going to happen, even if you do have a peaceful end to it, you still don't stay together because right. it's going to be
0: more fights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And The so, heart isn't, yeah, yeah. The heart's not reconciled. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we end up seeing the split ultimately between what we see now as I'm going to call Western Christianity because at this point there is no Protestantism we don't have no. evangelicalism yet it's just Catholicism. Right. And then you have Eastern Orthodoxy. Yep. And the practices between the two are vastly different. Yes. Yes. What we can see now hindsight 2020 is that neither neither are wrong. No. Um and they're not anti-biblical. Sure. Um. So like for instance, I'm not entirely sure if this is true. This is what I heard in class one time. And um, but like Eastern Orthodoxy practices baptism completely different than we do. Yes. Today is probably one of the biggest ways you can see the difference between the two practices. Yeah. In Eastern Orthodoxy, baptism is like a two-day process. You go through an anointing process, a fasting process, and then it's the next day (laughs) that you are baptized. Wow. Mm. Yep. Where in Western yeah, culture, I,
1: yeah, I've seen, I've seen some of that. Like, um, I'll, I've, I've grown up with like Romanian and Russian friends that mm-hmm. their baptism process is very much like it's a huge, huge, huge deal, yeah. and they yeah. take they take multiple days to celebrate that. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas
0: a more Western way, we baptize. It's a day process,
1: or like a couple hours,
0: A couple hours, and yeah. and it's done um which is interesting because the early church
2: fathers wrote some instructions uh, it's called the didache which is literally the teachings yeah and their their opinion on baptism was really funny it was get some running water get a stream and if you can't do that get a lake if you can't do that get a pool of water if you can't do that you know throw water on their head sprinkle whatever and it was it was almost a it was an incredible pragmatism just get her done um, and so we get a few centuries later, and now we're baptiz- we're arguing about the right way to baptize, yeah, and it's and I understand there's real importance in the form mm-hmm. in which you take but that again is influential to cult on a culture, a people right. group right. rather than yeah the basic doctrine it yeah. again, the old the, the first century uh, uh uh church fathers just get her done, well, not the right way of doing it
0: well, not even just no matter not even just a matter of like necessarily get it done but make it accessible yeah make it accessible at any time at any point whatever you do outside of that whatever but no matter what it's accessible yeah because as you pointed out all those like if you don't have running water (laughs) then it's a matter of location and so and then even then it becomes a matter of wealth standing and this is actually a form that we see all the way back in torah when looking the sacrificial system Okay. if you if you are giving yes, you a sin have, offering if you don't yeah. have a bowl yep. yep you offer two goats you don't have two goats um you offer two doves or two pigeons if you don't have those handful of grain yeah it's it's an it's not even a matter of exclusivity it's a matter of making accessible right right if but,
1: someone yeah you have yeah you do need to be able to atone yeah for your
2: the, the okay. same thing that happened with the old testament marketplace in the temple where they begin to gouging people and yes. so it was something they could res- they could keep back from people they didn't like to exclude them that mm-hmm. we see with um both sides eastern and western church is they could restrain you from being baptized if you didn't meet certain qualifications mm-hmm. and early i think by 3rd century that they literally see, you want to be baptized yeah okay it will be a 3 year instruction before we let you be baptized um and it they would use that to restrain people. Yeah. Well, first of all, that they need to know that they were educated about the Bible. I can see some problems arising right from that. But within yeah. church history, as we go later on and the church is legalized and all that, it ends up being a power play yes. mm-hmm. where we could keep things away from you that don't affect you here, but in the spiritual it does. Yeah. And and you never
0: know. It's it's that uncertainty of does this actually affect my eternal state? Yeah. Right. So what we end up seeing there is another pivotal point in the church in which where we see two different traditions arise. And yep. it's, I use traditions in the sense of two ways of living out faith. And the important thing to note here is although it's talked about as a schism, as a divide within the church, and um, I'm I'm assuming the conversation was very heated at that time, I would imagine. What's important to understand is that this schism isn't necessarily two churches arising in which one's wrong and one's um right. No, it's a matter of two different practices of faith. Right. Yep. Right.
1: And just like we say with with culture, it's not that one is better or one is worse by default. It's they're just they're different.
0: Yeah, it's it's I think it's always been a matter it's, it, and this is the struggle within the church, right? Is that we hold to something so fundamentally like if you don't have this within a church, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Right. It's, we make it a core thing when that leads to these yes. schisms yes. because we say, well, if you don't do it this way, you're against the Bible. You're against the word of God. And therefore yeah. you're against God. Yeah, exactly. And we can't stand for it. We put, we put like
1: it. eternal pressure on some of the practice things yeah. that are not at the core. Yeah. You
0: know, you know the, the, the line
2: we use in church history especially American church history, if you're not fighting, you're not trying. And you have the number of churches that have split over silly things. Literally, did Adam have a belly button? It's stuff like that. And so often it's frivolous things. It can even be important doctrinal things. But it's often not about sin, except for parts of the Reformation. Mm -hmm. and that's where you are having indulgences, being bought and sold. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to go see my girlfriend. My wife's uh, going with her friends tonight. I'm going to go see my girlfriend, so can I get a a get-out-of-jail-free card? And here's the money for it. And um, interesting, Martin Luther, here's something that we don't often teach in history, is Martin Luther did not want to move away from the church. He wanted to reform it from the inside out because it reflected so badly Mm -hmm. on the church because they were using... Yeah, they were a power structure, yeah. and you know, nepotism was all over the place. And in some places, nepotism is good. You say nepotism? You have a father who's a faithful leader. He has taught his children, both men and women, to be faithful leaders, and so there's a good chance that they are going to be reliable. Right. However, we can't, we that can't doesn't hate guarantee it because their family right. is in leadership. Agreed. <laughs> but when you start getting into the things that the church got into because they needed money in order to build more cathedrals. In order to make him look really pretty, they yeah. started selling forgiveness, mm-hmm. yes. which is sin. Yes. That is sin. So they were forgiving people who deliberately were doing sins, and making money out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where, again, you know, that was one of the major things that Martin Luther said. Um, can I ask a question? That doesn't seem right to me. And they didn't brook any any dissent, and so they kicked him out. Yeah. It's it's not, he was being rabble-rousing. He literally was saying, I got questions, eventually got to be rabble-rousing because he was a rough dude. But, you know, in in that sense, you go, so they fought over what? They fought over doctrine and misuse of the church.
0: Yeah, and so it gets, when we look at the Reformation, for one, the Reformation is kind of, well, it's not the, it's not the last major divide, but it gets us to more... That's the last one before we get to uh, contemporary, so in the last 30 yeah. or so years. Yeah. Um, Because from the Reformation is when Protestantism starts. So Protestantism, to put it in a maybe spicy way, didn't start with Jesus. Protestantism started in the 16th century. Yeah, I
2: agree. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, I would
2: go one step further, and this is what a lot of people don't know, is the Anabaptists. So we... Yeah. Baptists do not come from the Protestant Reformation. We come from the radical reformers who said we should baptize adults Anabaptists, baptize again. So they didn't look at children baptism as enough. Luther, Calvin, those guys—they were for child baptism, mm-hmm. and they are the ones—not just the Catholics, but they also persecuted the radical reformers. And oh, when how, you look at the
1: is, so, it might be something I'm just not—I just I'm not terribly familiar with yeah. this, with Catholicism. Um, did they not baptize adults? Did they only baptize children? Like what was the issue with that? Because
2: the issue is that they said, if you're born into the Catholic area, Christendom in large part, Uh by very birth, dint of your birth, you become a Christian and we are going to make sure you stay a Christian. So get them into heaven by baptizing them. So the child, as
1: as kids, as kids, right.
2: So the theology was almost like, get them to say the words and they're
0: part of the club. um, we we've, we've kind of modified it in pro-, pro Protestantism and yeah. Evangelism oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. with you baby dedication. Yeah, yeah ba- well, I mean, look at baby dedications. Yeah. We believe that's, that. Yeah, we've we've taken the idea of what Catholics did and that was baptized babies so that they are in heaven and saved. Right. It added a twist to get rid of the whole idea of being saved, but rather dedicating the child oh, to God. That's never yeah. how I
1: really even interpreted like baby dedication. Mm-hmm. Like, you see that? No,
0: that? no, no, that's, no. That's, that's how we've modified it to move away from. Oh, okay. the idea of salvation, rather oh, okay. dedication. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And that's yeah.
2: still a question. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? I get a lot of people to ask that question. And I say, well, it's an identify with, uh, identification with Christ. But if you look at the thief on the cross who said, exactly. remember me, Jesus, did not say, get down, let's get you baptized and then we can die and go to heaven. That was never there. But right. it's like if you have the opportunity and you're, you've and been a Christian for there, like... but if you've been in the church for 40 years and never want to be baptized, that asks a question of what are you waiting for? Sure. Um, but you see, that's where that was a bridge too far for the Protestant Reformation, and these were radicals. And if you look at the history of the radical reformers, that's where you, you're, you're Amish, your are Mennonite, you're Hederite, okay. um, And then your all your Baptist groups, which are kind of mellowed out. That's that whole group there, mm-hmm. and that's a different history, but we often don't look at it because, well, to put it bluntly, the people who write history are the ones that survive history. Mm-hmm. And the Anabaptists really had a rad, bad run of it. So
0: there's not a lot of books on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah. And at this point, I think it'd be good to just hit on the purpose of why we're going through the history Agreed. of this yeah. again. So that like, yes. we're not just spouting off how broken right. the church is. Right. But
1: that is kind of the point is yeah. that like, Christ pursues us in our brokenness, in our misunderstanding, in yep. our... Even in our unwillingness to understand he's still like there's mm-hmm. so many accounts of when he's trying to get the point across and people yeah. are still yep. missing it.
0: Yeah, I think, I think one of the important parts of why we we're spending this episode talking about these major events throughout history. Part of it is, yes, nothing new is under the sun. Mm-hmm. The church has always been divided. It's yep. always been flawed. It will right. continue to always be flawed. But part of that and understanding that is not to be a discouragement rather than an encouragement. Yes, mm-hmm. agreed. It's not going to be solved by any human structure it can be made better mm-hmm. uh, sure. through the leading of the spirit agreed um, but i think there's an importance to understand the history so that we can understand today where we are today and yep. how we can move forward and that's why we're spending time talking about the council of jerusalem the great yes. schism and yes. now the protestant Re- reformation
2: yeah we're no in no way saying that now that we're modern we've got uh, it, all or past it out. Modern, right. we are not saying that at all the church is made of imperfect people, therefore it's yeah. never going to be perfect. So the yeah. people who have expectations, a lot of young people say, well, the church didn't get it right, so I'm out of here. And it's like, that's not a fair, that's really not a fair assessment.
1: Right, you're putting too much on the church if that's your reason.
2: That being said, I still believe not necessarily in trying harder, but in understanding there's always a chance to grow and be transformed. And we yeah. never stop growing. And so, and and this is the raw raw in me. Never stop growing even if you trip and fall will be there to pick you up so that you can rise and move on because the bible does not say be perfect uh, it does say be perfect even as i am perfect but that's through the spirit of god well, but the proverb yeah. says a righteous man is not one who does not fall but the one who ri- who falls 6 times and rises a seventh you don't do that on your own it's not just that you're a tough dude And when you skin your knees, you get back up. You have your buddies Mm -hmm. around to be with you.
0: The righteous man is the one who puts complete faith in God. There you go. Abraham fulfilled all of Torah before Torah. How? Wow. Because he was was faith. And Abraham was a schmuck. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. Abraham was a schmuck. You want to look for like not morally upright and still the father of faith. He had some issues.
1: Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like trying
0: to give his wife twice <laughs> but yet he fulfilled all of God's commandments, laws, structures. In fact, it's the passage in Genesis when God is saying that to Isaac that he uses the three words that are constantly attached to Torah. Okay. And fulfillment of Abraham. And the way he fulfilled them is by complete faith and trust. The re- it's not I would augment the proverb a little bit because it's not about falling down six and getting up a seventh. It's how you get up the seventh. Yes. And that is complete faith and reliance in God. Yes. Yes. So again, we're not putting
2: down the church or saying we can do better. We're recognizing, we're being honest and transparent about where we've come from. And there are those who say, well, I'm not part of the Catholic church, so I I don't have to take responsibility. That's the church. At one point, that was the only church. Mm -hmm. So try to distance yourself. What's the purpose behind that? To say you're better than them or that you don't like them? It's not doing any good by chopping away at other believers. And a lot of people
1: say that. Might not have even ever been to a Catholic church or known anyone of those kinds of congregations. Like, it's just a blanket judgment, I think we just throw.
0: Well, and then it also. Without any experience behind it. Fear of identification. Yeah, exactly. Being unaware of how the church has created division limits how then we can repent to those hurt by the church and its divisions. Good, yeah, point. Um, good point. Fantastic point. Yeah. Because I think specifically like the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have been at odds as a Christian faith, the Jewish community. Forever. And we, and at least part of the message I believed growing up, whether implied by the church or explicitly said by the church, is because they don't believe in the Messiah. Therefore, they're our enemy. Yep. When you look at our own history as Christians, and yeah. how some of our church, not early church fathers, but the people we've touted as yep. our yeah. major figures and how they have been anti-Semitic. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, if we don't know that, how are we supposed to then interact with that community without first saying, I'm sorry? Yep. Right. Because say, yeah. that is my response when I hear that is, yeah. I am sorry that as Christ, we have treated people That way,
1: yeah. I mean, Uh, we don't we don't treat non believers that way.
0: Yeah, most of the time.
1: I mean, we 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 do, but it's not to the same extent. It's like no, oh, like we're 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 specifically called to have compassion and uh and and build relationships with people that don't believe what we believe. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. for some reason, especially with the Jewish community, like there's so much hostility and fear. And absolutely fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Where we see a great amount of fear is, and I think I've told you guys before, I did a, a conference or a, a speaking uh, engagement for a group of high school and junior high kids that came mm-hmm. to Portland to do a uh, a missions mm-hmm. movement. And there's hun- several hundred of them. Yeah. And uh, in talking about Portland, and we have a very healthy and strong uh, lesbian and gay community here. And one of them said, they were doing vacation bible school and they said what if a lesbian shows a lesbian couple shows up and i said what do you mean that well they're they're showing i said they're not going to try to convert you but they're probably because they're curious about jesus so what do you do tell them about jesus Mm -hmm. and it's there's so much fear there is that fear Mm -hmm. response
1: absolutely you know and or
2: or minorities african americans i don't know what to say it's a lot of these Mm -hmm. things that it's the same history of the church over and over and over again Mm yeah and we have the words of life we have transformation and right. we we're meant must, to share it. We're, we're meant to be a light. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. to be transformative so that it doesn't matter who they are when they meet
0: Jesus, right. Mm-hmm. They're meeting us. Yeah. And which just brings us back to why this is so important to note the history of the church and these divisions so that we can adequately, because like even look in house yep. and how evangelicals relate with Catholicism yeah, mm-hmm. there are yep. still a lot of people who question whether or not Catholicism is still like if you're part of the Catholic Church, whether or not you saved by Christ or not. Whew. Yeah, uh, that's a predominant question. Agreed. And so th- we treat those who f- of the Catholic Church as non-believers. Yeah, yeah, because um, their practices are very different. Yeah, all because of the the, the Reformation. Yep. Um, and so like same and same, fight same fight that thing that with East Eastern Orthodoxy. Yes. Absolutely. Do we even pay um, attention to Eastern, or- Eastern exactly. Orthodoxy? Exactly. Yeah. So. That's why it's so important that we take this time before next episode. Yes. Talk about contemporary. Yeah. Understand the amount of division that's already present and yeah. why we see so much division today. Yeah. yeah. There
1: are deep roots to these issues. It, these are generational, yeah. like yeah. These are wounds that have transcended generations. And mm-hmm. we are carrying now, like they've become our responsibility and we have to be able to uncover them, name them and deal with them in order to move forward.
0: Yeah, and part of that comes with repentance. Yes. Yeah. Because some of these schisms, like the great schism that we that I touched on, were talked about whether or not of being a true believer of, and follower of Christ or not, when really we look about it and see, no, these are just two different ways of following Christ. Yeah. Same thing with the Reformation is a little tricky because there, a large part of that was the corruption in the in the church at yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. But also now to say to, to come into the conclusion like no, these are two separate ways of following Christ. Yeah. agreed. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be reiterated again next episode as we look at yeah. contemporary issues and I'm sure at some point denominations will come up next episode. Oh but, totally. I hope it does. Yeah.
1: But it's it's seriously it's the same issue. Yeah. Right? It's just it's nothing new nothing's new. Yep. Yeah. So we I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit next episode. Um we'll also talk about just how um today our culture interacts with church and like what's the balance supposed to be with between culture and church so
2: interesting things that yes. happened with that
1: yes mm. absolutely so we'll get to talk quite a bit more about that next episode but for today thank you so much for listening thank you both for um speaking on this issue it's mm. important i think it's good to know um where we come from in the grander scheme i mean it's it's only 2000 years but it's on the grander scheme of our history um it's important. It's important to be in tune with that to a degree. So absolutely agree. Yeah. yeah. Thank
2: you for guiding the conversation because this is a little like riding a bucking, bucking bronco. Yeah.
1: It's not easy. It's no. not an easy one. So. Thank you, guys, both for bringing your insights and your research and all of the work that you guys did to prepare. So, I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Walking Between Worlds. There are several ways to stay up to date with what we're doing through this podcast. You're more than welcome to follow us on social media. We're active on Instagram. Our username is Walking Between Worlds Podcast. So, you can go ahead and find us there. We also have a Facebook group that is attached to Culture Bound's Facebook page. If you visit that page, you should see the opportunity to join the Walking Between Worlds group where you can interact directly with us there. You can also join in the conversation by visiting anchor.fm slash walking between worlds. And there's an option on that page to record a minute long message, including your thoughts or questions for us here at the podcast. And you may even hear that clip on a future episode as we respond to it. So again, thank you for listening. We hope to hear from you and we will see you next week.